They tried to arrest Jesus, but his hour had not yet come. He then said, I will be with you a little while longer, and then you will search for me, but you will not find me. On the last day of the festival, the great day, Jesus cried out, Let anyone who is thirsty come to me and drink. As the scripture has said, Out of the believer's heart shall flow rivers of living water. Now he said this about the Spirit, which believers in him were to receive. For as yet there was no Spirit, because Jesus was not yet glorified. This is the word of the Lord. The Synoptic Gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, tell us that Jesus made only one trip to Jerusalem during his public ministry. But almost everything took place up in Galilee, and then one fateful trip to Jerusalem, and he was crucified. But John tells us there were at least three trips to Passover after Jesus began his ministry, which leads us to believe his ministry lasted at least three years. But today's episode does not take place at one of those festivals of Passover, but rather at the Feast of Tabernacles or Booths. And that does not occur in the spring, but in the fall. Five times, Gail and I and our sons had been to Israel, and all five times we'd gone in the summer so that the boys could go with us. It was always so hot and so dry. And two and a half years ago, we went in February. It was amazing to wake up every morning and find the streets wet from an overnight shower, to see green grass and flowers blooming. I had read that Jerusalem has approximately the same rainfall as Tulsa, but it all comes in a five-month period, and then it doesn't rain at all for seven months. Seven long summer months with no rain. In the fall, a festival, at which time the people were to remember that they had wandered 40 years in the desert, depending absolutely upon God for water, and that God, who had always sent water, would send water again. After seven long months of drought, rain would come. Jesus is there for that festival. First thing, there were some who were already trying to kill him, and this is early in John's Gospel, chapter 7. Some were trying to kill him, but they couldn't because his hour had not yet come. And John reminds us, as do the synoptic writers, that all of these events are finally in God's hands. Nothing is happening to Jesus unless God hands him over, unless God delivers him up. Israel's God is in charge here. Dr. John Buchanan, retired 18 months ago from Fourth Presbyterian Church in Chicago, a former Barton Clinton Gordy presenter right here in our church, he has written that more than 20 years ago, a congregation of Jews from the suburbs had contacted him and said, we know that downtown Chicago is trying to re-infill with population. They're building more condominiums, tall apartment towers, a number of our people are now living right downtown, and they can't get out to the suburbs for Sabbath services. We wondered if there was any chance you would let us hold Friday night services at Fourth Presbyterian. 
He said, I need to meet with my session about that. I'll be right back to you. And so once the session had met, he said, of course, we'd be honored to have you come and be in our building on Friday evenings. And so they first just started worshiping, and then they said, well, really a part of our worship is punch and cookies and fellowship. And they said, oh, that's what Presbyterians do. Help yourself. And when they came to the fall of the year, the rabbi contacted him and said, you know, we have really big crowds on Rosh Hashanah and Yom Kippur. Any chance we could rent the sanctuary for those big days? And he said, of course, absolutely. And so the Jews filled Fourth Presbyterian Church for Rosh Hashanah and Yom Kippur, a relationship that's continued for more than 20 years. And Dr. Buchanan said, it's been great for my people to be around the cousins of Jesus that much. To be reminded that Jesus came from an observant Jewish family, that he was not only circumcised on the eighth day and taken for bar mitzvah when he was 12, but he was in fact in Jerusalem for the feast of Passover when he was crucified. This is Israel's God. Creatio ex nihilo, the only one who can create out of nothingness who was in the very beginning and who chose an old man and an old woman to found a new faith community in Abraham and Sarah. That one, that one is watching over everything and no one will arrest Jesus until he says it's time. Number two, you need to know a little bit more about the Feast of Tabernacles to understand what happens next. At the Feast of Tabernacles, where they send up, this word can also be translated simply tent, where they set up tents outside their apartments or houses where they were living in Jerusalem and stayed in them for a whole week just to remember what it was like sort of out there in the desert, absolutely dependent upon God. But for this symbolic prayer for rain to come again, every morning for a week, the high priest would take out of the chamber on the temple, on the temple mount, a beautiful gold pitcher. One of the scholars called it a flagon, a gold flagon. And then the procession would follow him down the temple mount to the pool of Siloam, where once Jesus healed a man who had been crippled for 38 years, you remember. That pool of Siloam, still there. Scoop up a pitcher full of water and lead the procession back up the temple mount to the temple, all the while going down and coming up singing Hallel Psalms, that same group from the Psalter that were being sung on the day Jesus rode the donkey into Jerusalem. Same ones. Praise of God, praise of God, big golden pitcher of water. Seven straight days down the hill, filled with water, back up the hill, and now all this water poured out over the altar as a gift, a libation to God, saying, we know you're going to send us rain again, aren't you? And suddenly, John writes, Jesus cried out. It's the same word he uses of John the baptizer, who cried out, you brood of vipers, who warned you to flee from the wrath that is to come? Your fruits do not befit those worthy of repentance. Jesus suddenly cries out as the high priest is pouring water out of the gold pitcher onto the altar. If you're really thirsty, come to me and drink. 
That would stop everything, wouldn't it? I think so. Everything stopped. Just this time last year, Gail and I were in Italy again for three weeks. We talked from time to time about how we never dreamed we would be in some of the greatest art museums in the world, from the Prado in Madrid to the to the Louvre in Paris. Again and again, we've been these wonderful places. And last year, one of our days, we were in Milano. We went to a museum not so, not so famous, not so big, where I had read in one of the tourist guides that they had an unfinished sculpture of Michelangelo. We've seen the David boy. We've been in the Sistine Chapel several times to see all those beautiful paintings. We've seen the Pietà in the sanctuary there at the Vatican. We went into this museum, and no one else was there but the two of us in that particular room, just the two of us looking at this magnificent statue. You could really see how this huge block of marble looked as Michelangelo painstakingly chipped away one little bit after another, but already just jumping almost from this block is a human figure. It is the Lord. Right now in Boston, there's a collection of Michelangelo's drawings. They've been gathered for a number of, from a number of museums and are on display right now at, at a museum in, in Boston. And one of the critics was saying a drawing, now you remember this is 500 years ago, a drawing that he made, some kind of pencil-like, preserved over a 500 year period. In the background, you can definitely see this is the Madonna, this is Mary, the Holy Mother, but just barely can you make out. You know, that, that's a woman, all right, but in the foreground, the baby, fat, healthy, full of life, not looking out at the artist, looking at his mother. He's twisted around in her arms so that he's now sort of just burying his nose right in the middle of her chest. This precious child, as surely as Jesus the man was coming out of that block of marble, here is Jesus the baby coming out from that drawing. Yeah, it's about him for you and me. It's about him, that one. He is the living water. Number three, this is the day of the Holy Spirit. It confuses more Christians, in my experience, than any other part of the Trinity. Let me see if I can help you. The word Trinity has as its root a Latin word, unitas, unity. And the tri on the front of it, of course, just means three, but it's triunitas, three united. At Centenary College, where I was just a couple of weeks ago delivering their commencement address, I had so many memories as Gail and I drove down and back again, and I was remembering that I was taking second-year German and Latin at the same time but both languages very helpful to me. In seminary, I took Greek, and now I could see the kinship of some of these languages. We sing a hymn, holy, 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 God in three 
persons. The word translated persons we have in Greek, and St. Jerome knew this same word in Latin when he translated the scriptures of the Jews into Latin. It's a word that means mask. Not a Halloween mask, of course, not a Mardi Gras mask, a mask of the theater. The Greeks loved theater, and so did the Romans. Anytime you go to an ancient Roman city, any of its ruins, there will be an amphitheater. There will be something left of an amphitheater. They loved drama. They loved performance in a theater. And this is the word in Greek and Latin for mask. You had one great actor who could perform more than one role. And the mask often had little stick handles. You just picked it up and lifted it to the face. Everybody in the amphitheater knows this is the same guy. Now he's acting this way. Now he's acting that way. And now he's acting this way. God, Father, Mother of all creation, who first spoke, first caused, and everything came into being. But in its own due time, the planet Earth, if the time from the Big Bang till now were measured in one calendar year, Dr. Carl Sagan reminded us there was no Earth till September the 15th. There were no human beings until late December. There was no Jesus of Nazareth until a few seconds before midnight on December 31. I was watching a program last night about Neanderthals and Homo sapiens. Neanderthals came out of Africa 300,000 years ago and Homo sapiens only about 40,000 years ago. And by 30,000 years ago, the Neanderthals were all gone. Just Homo sapiens. But this one created and is creating, we say. And this one, a baby born, a man grown up, a teacher, preacher, healer, worker of miracles, one crucified and then raised. And this one, the very spirit, essay in Latin, being, essence, of the one crucified and raised is with us, comes to guide, comfort, counsel, direct us to the kingdom he has prepared. Not strange, not weird, same God. We know him, we see him acting, being all of these things at different times in our own experiences. Number four, Jesus must be remembering third Isaiah as we know it today a prophet who went with his people back home after the Persians overran the Babylonians and granted them freedom when they got there no temple atop the mountain no holy resident no uh, uh, king kingly resident no palace no gates on the hinges of the city walls tumbled down absolutely defenseless after 50 years 
and he said, Seek the Lord while he may be found. Call upon him while he is near. And Jesus said, In a little while you will not have me. You will seek me, but you will not find me. There comes a time to make a decision, to make a choice, to step out in faith. Read an article recently about Bobby McFerrin. I immediately thought 25 years ago, don't worry, be happy. Don't worry, be happy. But Bobby McFerrin's done many other things. He's won 10 Grammy Awards. His father, Robert McFerrin Sr., was the first male African American to be named principal soloist for the New York Opera, 1955. Little Bobby was born in 1950. He's 63 now. His father and mother took him to the Episcopal Church. He was baptized there. He was confirmed there. He grew up there. He came to love liturgy, the Book of Common Prayer. But his father and mother also loved the African-American spirituals. His father sang them often around the house. This father's voice, you might know if you've ever seen the movie of Porgy and Bess. Sidney Poitier was a well-known face, so he was chosen to play the role, but he couldn't sing like Robert McFerrin Sr. And so Bobby's father sang all of Sidney Poitier's numbers in Porgy and Bess, and they were dubbed in. When Bobby graduated high school, he went west to California, California State at, at Sacramento. And that education opened a lot of doors. He's been guest conductor at some of the greatest symphonies in the world, New York City, Chicago, Philadelphia, San Francisco, Los Angeles, Toronto, Montreal, Vienna, Austria, Tel Aviv, Israel. He still loves the Episcopal Church. He says he begins every morning with his Bible and the Book of Common Prayer. But he remembers the spirituals his mother and father taught him, and he's recently made a new CD of some of them. I want you to hear the words of one. The metaphors are all mixed up here by the slaves pulling cotton sacks down the rows of the old Bible Belt South. Upon the mountain, my Lord spoke. Out his mouth came fire and smoke. All around me looked so shine. Ask my Lord if all was mine. Jordan River runs right cold, chills the body, not the soul. Ain't but one train on this track, runs to heaven and right back. So every time I feel the Spirit moving in my heart, <laughs> 